These last few weeks, my kids have been home a lot from school because of the fevers and colds that seem to be running rampant at this time of year. So that makes it difficult for someone like me, who works from home, to get any real work done. It's days like these where I usually spend most of the day stuffing envelopes and labeling my monthly newsletters. I also miss my old house where I had a den in which I could work with some privacy. Oh well, first world problems I guess. I'm just happy that I have work to do. I've also been sick for basically three months now, which is common for me as I mentioned in the previous podcast, The Return of Wheezy McGee. In fact, I should probably buy stock in Kleenex or whatever brand of tissues you find at Aldi, because my family goes through a few boxes a week. Not sure where all of that snot comes from, but it's getting ridiculous. Now, there are a lot of benefits of being self-employed, like the very fact that my kids can stay home from school without it throwing our entire routine completely out of whack. But I realize that I do miss being able to phone it in and get paid to be sick. One of the few benefits of being a W-2 employee with benefits is the provided sick days. Anyway, I'm excited by the prospect of finally being able to move in the next year and a half. I do much better health-wise without wall-to-wall carpeting and a forced air heating system. So here's hoping I can find that magical combination along with an office or third bedroom to set up my little real estate empire. I'll be in heaven if that happens. Over the course of the last few months, my younger son has developed a fear of everything. And I mean everything. The problem is that I have no idea how to help him because it's all in his head. It's been difficult, but we've done our best to keep our kids shielded from many of the overly intense or scary movies, cartoons, or video games that pass for kids' entertainment these days. So when he says he's afraid of something, it seems so made up that it kind of just gets frustrating. A scary noise in his room, a weird drawing that he saw at school, or thinking that his head will fall off because he has a patch of dry skin on his neck. The stated reasons for his fear are as endless as they are pathetic. But we're now in this cycle. He refuses to fall asleep at night, just laying there, with his eyes open conjuring up images of skeletons and other things he read about in Diary of a Wimpy Kid. He comes into our room multiple times each night with some sob story. My wife and I haven't really gotten a sound sleep in weeks. But my biggest problem with his fears is that he refuses to be consoled. It would be one thing if he was scared and then came to us to be comforted and then felt better and went to sleep. But instead, he simply rehashes the same thing over and over again. We try to alleviate his fear and comfort him, but before we even put our heads back on our pillows, he's in our room again. Which brings me to the main point. I hate fear. More accurately, I hate what fear does to people. It makes us irrational, almost as irrational as sleep deprivation. Fear is a cycle that allows us to stay stuck in our wrong frame of mind. It's an emotional state that cripples us from making right choices. When we're afraid, that's the only thing we can think about, and we can't imagine that we'll ever be able to overcome our fears. So many people know what they want out of life, but fear keeps them from pursuing it. Fear of other people's opinions, fear of failure, fear of change, fear of the unknown, fear of missing out, fear of being let down. 
The list of phobias that people exhibit is staggering, and I'm sure there are new items being added to it daily. I wonder what you would call the fear of your head falling off due to the patch of dry skin on your neck. If it has a name, let me know. As humans, we often live in a perpetual state of fear. Unfortunately, we allow this fear to cripple us rather than motivate us. Like my son, we'd rather live in fear and share our fears with others than fight our way out of fear. In my opinion, people should use fear as a catalyst rather than a crutch. What are you afraid of? What are you refusing to do because fear is keeping you from doing it? Fear in and of itself is not a bad thing. Many times fear tells us that what we want to do is worth it. It's how we respond to fear that ultimately defines us. It should motivate us to take action. But oftentimes our inaction is the epitome of selfishness. Because when we allow our fear to cripple us, we're admitting to the world that our feelings are more important than the impact we could have if we would only push beyond our fragile emotional state. If we all knew our true capacity to make a difference in the lives of those around us, then we would not be afraid of any outside force impeding us. We would merely act. Imagine if everyone in this world who truly wanted to make a difference stopped being afraid. What would change? Instead, we use fear to stay in our protective bubbles, detached from any greater purpose, isolating ourselves from the world because in our minds, there's too much at stake if we really put ourselves out there. But what if instead of being afraid of pursuing our dreams, we redefined our fear? That's what I've chosen to do. The fear that motivates me is the fear of getting to the end of my life having not accomplished what I was put on this earth to do. That scary thought certainly keeps me from being stagnant and sedentary on my journey. It motivates me to try hard things, to exhaust every avenue and use every tool at my disposal in order to accomplish my goals. I'm still afraid because I don't know the end of the story, but I'm more fearful that I will allow fear itself to paralyze me. I have to remind myself daily that my momentary fear is no match for the enormous amount of regret I will experience if I refuse to try. The greater the risk, the greater the reward. The most essential thing you need to do today is overcome the very thing that is keeping you from doing what you were born to do. I sometimes get jealous of people who seem perfectly content staying where they are. I'm just being honest. I used to work with people like that. Same boring job for decades and they seemed genuinely content. Ugh. I both loved and hated these people at the same time. Why is contentment so elusive for someone like me? I recently mentioned this to my wife that sometimes I wish I was wired differently. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm comfortable with who I am most of the time. But every once in a while, my insecurities swim to the surface and make me wonder whether the amount of pain and heartache I'm bringing on myself while pursuing my dream is even worth it. I guess it's that whole grass is always greener thing. Instead of looking at all of the cool things I've learned and accomplished while pursuing my dreams, I can sometimes do the math about where we'd be financially if I had just stayed put and been content with a job I didn't like. Thankfully, all I have to do is remember what it felt like doing the same old thing every day. I remember not wanting to get out of bed in the morning. Sure, getting paid every two weeks like clockwork was pretty great, but at some point, 
even that was not enough to keep me where I was. I must have really been miserable. I'm not saying that we would be rolling in the Benjamins if I had not left my 9 to 5. As I previously mentioned, I had all but hit the ceiling of where I could go without a college degree, and going back to school to learn about something that didn't interest me just seemed awful. But starting your own business can take a serious investment of time and money. This is one of the reasons I love my wife and why God said it was not good for Jeff to be alone. Because lately, anytime I bring up the money I've spent and continue to spend on my business, she just says, hey, everyone has college loans they need to pay off. And she's right. If I stayed put, I would have had to shell out tens of thousands of dollars to a college or university to get any further in my career. And I didn't even like the industry I was in. Instead, I have total control over where the money goes and how I invest in my future. And even though in business you have to spend money in order to make money, I'm spending the money to build something I'm proud of and resonates with the core of my character. I should think of it as my own personal college loan. Except it's cheaper and directly affects my business on a practical level. Either way, I would have had to spend money. Why not on something I'm truly passionate about? So yeah, maybe things would be easier if I had someone else's personality and was able to be content going with the flow. But I have to remind myself that I'm not like other people. No one really is like anyone else. We are all uniquely wired with idiosyncrasies and weirdness that would drive another person crazy. I feel crazy half the time. I also can't assume that other people are content just because they may be better at putting on a brave face than I was or even am. I guess I'm just more easily agitated than everyone else. I know you're saying that's not surprising. As I think about this idea of contentment, I think my frustration mostly comes when my perspective is off balance. Perhaps when we focus too much on the dream destination, we see the journey as more of an obstacle to getting what we want rather than the necessary route to get there. For instance, after I play a gig and it's after midnight, I feel a sense of dread when I remember that I still have to pack up my gear and drive for 45 minutes before I can get into my cozy bed. But when I focus on the journey home instead of on my cozy bed and making the most of the time I have in the car, it helps me to enjoy it. I get to listen to music or a podcast or maybe even swing by Taco Bell for the beautifully delicious fourth meal. I'm fat, I know, and I'm not even sorry. Hashtag sorry not sorry. Anyway, having your eyes on the prize may be a good motivator. But it can also trip you up if you're not watching where you're going in the meantime. You also don't want to start looking at other people on the road and comparing your journey to their journey. You don't know their story and worrying about them will keep you from writing your own. Now I'll continue to pray for contentment because I know that's ultimately something I should have in my life. But I also believe that God is taking me through these difficult seasons to teach me what contentment really is enjoying the journey and not just arriving at a destination for those of you who are discontent in where your life is headed but are also struggling with fear i encourage you to go to my website jeffreydesiato.com slash jump i've put together a series of videos that i think would be really helpful it's about identifying the leap in your life that you need to take and overcoming the fear of taking it
My sons and I like cars. Big cars, small cars, classic cars, futuristic cars. That's why, for the second year in a row, I took them both to the Philly Auto Show at the Pennsylvania Convention Center. This has the makings of a father and son tradition. It was a Sunday afternoon, and the place was mobbed. What? Yeah, I think it's right in there. Get in front of the uh, smash car. Leela, turn around, bud. Myla, come back so they can get a picture. It's okay. Okay, thank you. Those are some cheesy smiles right there. Yeah, that's right. Keep going this way. These are all just kind of plain cars over here. I like the special cars. These are just like cars that you see on the road all the, the time. The best part of the car show was being able to take pictures with famous vehicles from your favorite movies. The DeLorean from Back to the Future. The Ectomobile from Ghostbusters. The original Batmobile. You name it. I mean, they even had the van that was converted to look like a dog from Dumb and Dumber. Now, for someone who prides himself on automotive frugality and disdains materialism... I have to admit to this one guilty pleasure of mine. Fancy cars are impressive. Come to think of it, my core set of values and beliefs preclude me from ever owning an extravagant vehicle like the ones on display here, which means that the closest I'll ever be to one of these cars is sitting in the front seat at a car show. I can certainly understand the allure of such a fine piece of machinery, even if most of them are made and marketed to help people compensate for a low self-esteem. Kind of makes me feel like I'm in a rap video. Were it not for all of the pasty white middle-aged men walking around the convention center floor. Since we last gathered on the podcast, I performed in my very first cabaret. It was on Valentine's Day and was part of Season 6 of the New Voices Cabaret series. It was also down in Center City, Philadelphia at the Philadelphia Boys Choir Building. I, along with four other very talented performers, performed a variety of selections with piano accompaniment to an intimate audience of friends and family. I was fortunate enough to have 18 guests give up their Valentine's Day plans in order to share this experience with me, and I'm eternally grateful for their support as I continue my performing arts endeavors. You see, what people just don't understand is that writing's a manic, it's mentally challenging, and it's a bore. As far as I'm concerned, the night was a rousing success. Aside from a flubbed lyric here and there, the crowd genuinely seemed to enjoy my four-song set, which was a relief considering I hadn't been this nervous about performing in years. The founder of the cabaret was very complimentary afterward and even asked me to sing as part of their Best of the Season concert in June. 
I'm looking forward to getting the DVD of my performance, at which point I will no doubt be plastering my Facebook page and YouTube channel with more videos of shameless self-promotion. But hey, when you're a performer, you just have to get your name out there, wherever and however you can. By now, you probably know that I didn't go to college. The older I get, the more I realize that that may not be such a bad thing. And here's why. If I were to ask you to think of a friend or family member who went to college, started and finished with the same major, and subsequently got a job in their precise field of study, you'd probably find it difficult to pinpoint more than a handful. The truth is the majority of people who go to college have no idea what they want to do in life when deciding on a college and area of study. I didn't know what I wanted to do with my life at 17 years old. Well, I actually wanted to be a rock star. And I bet my money that most people don't at that age. But in our society, we require kids to make a decision in high school of what they want to do with the rest of their lives and then live with the consequences. Sadly, what ends up happening is many people change their major several times as they feel their way through the dark cloud of the unknown and waste time and money earning a degree that will most likely have nothing to do with the job they end up with. Now, before I continue, I find it necessary to make one caveat. For people who know what they want to do with their lives and desire a career that can only be achieved by continuing their education, then college is a great benefit. For instance, my wife wanted to be a teacher from the time that she was eight years old. So she went to college and got a degree in elementary education and became a teacher. I'm amazed by her commitment and the hard work she did to pursue her dream and make it a reality. But let's be honest, how many of us are in jobs right now that can only be performed by someone who has a college degree? Let me say that again. I'm asking whether you think you would be capable of performing your assigned tasks if you didn't have one. Most of us, if we think hard, have a job that, in order to be performed well, should require no higher level of education than a high school diploma. And that's being generous. It used to be that having a college degree was prestigious and made you stand out among the crowd, but because of the subsidizing of the educational system in this country and the peer and parental pressure to continue our education, the workforce is now saturated with people who hold degrees, which only serves to dilute the prestige and potency of having that degree in the first place. I might be wrong, but it seems to me that it's now more difficult than ever for college graduates to find work in their field of study. And given the emphasis on providing college education as a right to all Americans in this last election cycle, it's only going to exacerbate the problem. Because when everyone is special, then no one will be. That's a quote from The Incredibles, which is an incredible movie by Disney. Probably my favorite. When everyone is special, then no one will be. In my opinion, it's an endless cycle geared to keep people in classrooms in order to continue to cash in on their hopes to achieve the American dream. As a society, we've created a monster. We've preached the value of a good education first and foremost. 
So much so that parents are shelling out tens of thousands of dollars a year to put their children in the best position to succeed. And for those children who don't have money from their parents at their disposal, they are essentially mortgaging their future by collecting student debt that they'll have to repay for decades. However, there's a level of entitlement that starts to creep in when you advance through the system of continuing education for no other reason than to simply keep up with the Joneses and you don't develop the work ethic that's necessary to succeed in the real world. We tell kids that they'll never succeed without a good education. The trouble is that a good quote-unquote education is subjective. And if you can't succeed without one, then by the same token, having a good education must automatically mean success. Now, I know that this is a sweeping generalization, but I've talked to many people who are now disillusioned and filled with regret over the amount of time and money they wasted on college because they were essentially forced into making the decision and aren't any better off than they would have been without their particular degree. We're buying the lie that it's our right to receive a good education, which leads many people to believe that they're entitled to the life they want once they graduate. And as a result, we've been overrun by the entitlement generation. People once prided themselves on earning a living and being no man's debtor. Now we live in a world that blames other people for our failures and wants everyone else to foot the bill for our dream life. An entire generation of parents who withheld nothing from their children in order to give them the life they never had have essentially eradicated the workmanlike determination that this country was built on. Parents... You're doing your children no favors if you constantly bail your kids out of trouble or blame others for your child's mistakes. No, the teacher isn't out to get your son. Maybe your son is just an imbecile who needs to fail in order to learn a valuable lesson about life. someone with nothing more than a high school diploma, I've experienced the blue-collar discrimination firsthand. While I worked my way up from entry-level employee in both the banking and pharmaceutical industries, I was constantly being told that I needed to go back to school if I ever wanted to get ahead. Was it because I could only learn the skills necessary to perform the job in a college classroom or lecture hall? No, I already had the skills necessary and had proven myself at every level up to that point. So why then, for no other reason than someone arbitrarily deeming it to be a requirement that the applicant hold a degree in a related field? I guess it's kind of like corporate bragging rights so that one business can brag to the other business about how many MBAs they have on the payroll. So here, I would work my butt off, learn new processes and regulations quicker than anyone else, only to watch as recent college graduates were hired at a higher wage and many times ahead of me. What was even more frustrating was that these recent graduates appeared to have absolutely no comprehension skills or work ethic, having never had a full-time job before this. Again, this is not all college graduates, but it's been my experience many times over. This led to me being given more and more responsibility and the workload of training the newbies, even though I was not qualified to advance in the department due to my lack of academic credentials. By this time, I'd been working full-time since I'd graduated from high school, nearly 13 years earlier. Are you really telling me that in 13 years of working full-time, supporting myself and a family, 
not to mention proving myself every step of the way that there is still something I lack when compared to someone who has spent the last four years partying in a college university bubble and has absolutely no work or real life experience whatsoever. Got it. This is something that I, along with countless others, have faced for years, which ultimately can result in a feeling of hopelessness and depression. To wake up every morning and know before your feet even hit the floor that it doesn't matter whether you excel, it doesn't matter whether you demonstrate the qualities necessary to perform your job, you will never advance because what matters in the eyes of HR and corporate America is whether you had a piece of paper as proof that you continued your adolescence into your adult years on your parents' or the government's dime. Something had to change in my life, and I believe something has to change in our society. I was 30 years old, and I knew that I had a lot to offer, but I was afraid that my talents were being wasted in a world that values formal education over actual emotional intelligence and practical experience. So I decided to take my talents to South Beach. No, I'm just kidding. I committed to educating myself. I became a sponge for as much information as my brain could hold. There's certainly something to be said for applying yourself to increasing your knowledge, not just because you want a degree or some credentials, but because your very livelihood depends on it. And what I learned in the process, I immediately began to implement in a real-world setting, which proved to be an invaluable experience. Sure, you could take out loans and spend hundreds of thousands of dollars, not to mention four to six years of your life on a glamorous education, or you could literally spend only hundreds of dollars and learn the same information while not living in a protective bubble. Now, people will argue that you learn certain skills in college that you can't learn anywhere else. I would beg to differ. Many of who we would consider to be the most successful people in the world did not finish college. And I'm pretty sure if you ask them what they got out of school, which then helped them in their entrepreneurial journey, they'd answer, not much. In fact, many of them left school because it was holding them back from doing what they were created to do. In other words, it was not fostering their creativity, but stifling it. If you ask me, our education system hasn't done a good enough job of stimulating a curiosity for learning or creating. Instead, it's taught our children how to memorize something just long enough to pass the test. It teaches you how to give an answer that people are looking for instead of a solution to a problem that people have not even recognized yet as a problem. In school, we learn to be a good employee and follow the rules. And many times we're left to fend for ourselves when it comes to the most practical of truths necessary to succeed in life. Believe me, I've worked alongside many a college graduate and their ignorance was astounding. Like balancing a checkbook, for instance, or knowing how to spell or write neatly. Now, we could spend way too much time talking about Common Core and all the other failed attempts at revamping our education system. But that's not the purpose of this podcast. But I believe that until we're willing to stop relying on the government to teach us what it wants us to know and recognize that educating ourselves is the most vital piece of the puzzle, we will continue to fail. You may be fuming right now, 
This may not be what you tuned in to hear on the podcast. You may have a million reasons why I'm wrong, and that's fair. I know that much of what I'm saying is from my own perspective and no doubt is skewed by my personal experience. But I think everyone can agree that we live in the entitlement generation. And what I'm proposing is that one of the biggest problems we face today is people who believe that a piece of paper from a highly touted institution entitles them to the job they want and the life they want before they even put their boots on the ground. But until you've had to live in the real world, hold down a job and support yourself and a family, then you don't know Jack. The smartest people in the world are the ones that are willing to admit they still have a lot to learn. Between my blog, the podcast, and my Jumpstart video series, I think I can safely say that I've expanded my message to all types of learners. And I'm really excited to see what's next on the journey. A special thanks to those of you who've joined me thus far, and I encourage you to invite more people to check out the podcast and subscribe to my content. Until next time, be real and keep it real. Godspeed. In the